Thank you for checking out this podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. Oh, let's move right into this stuff, embarrassing people. Let me see your Bibles. Let's take our Bibles out. Let's hold them up. You know the drill. If you've been here for a while, repeat after me. This is the Word of God. It's able to make me wise. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And this message is for me. Father, thank you so much for this good day that you've given us, for this opportunity, Lord, to be in your presence, Lord, to hear from your word, and Lord, for the opportunity to act upon it. Pray that you would guide and direct us today, and Lord, that lives would be transformed for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to continue our series that we started a while ago on uh, my story. You know, we're, un- we're, we're unpacking the lives of some of the characters in Scripture. We know oftentimes who they were. You know, we have a, a brief synopsis of who they were, maybe in their past life, uh, and, and we know who they are after they meet Christ. But so what we don't really focus on, what we don't seem to pay much attention to, is how they got to be the way they were. I mean, all of us... We know we've got common ground in that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that, right? We're, we're all sinners saved by grace. But what makes a person be the way that they were before they came to Christ? I mean, we all have our own story, what we were saved out of, what we were saved from. And so I want to I peel back the layers, if you will, on some of these characters in Scripture, and today we're going to talk about little man syndrome. Maybe you can guess who we're going to talk about. Not you, Kermit. I saw you give me that look. It's not, not you this morning. So today there's going to be, as I've said with, you know, throughout this series, there's going to be some speculation because not everything about the details of how a person got the way that they were is spelled out in Scripture. So bear with me. Some of this is speculation. We're going to draw from Scripture, but we're going to peel back the layers on Zacchaeus to see perhaps why he was the way he was. And maybe as we do that, you realize that you know someone who's like him. Maybe, maybe for some of you, you'll see yourself in Zacchaeus. How many of you know that bullying, bullying's a big it's in the news a lot, but how many of you know that bullying affects people? It impacts some, some, some people for a, for a really long time. There's a long history of people being bullied for various reasons, and one of those reasons happens to be with a person's size, with their stature. When it comes to, when it comes to men or boys, or as I like to call them, men in training, you know, we get into our, into our early teens Maybe our, our just our, our late preteens through mid, sometimes late teens. Some for some guys, I mean, it goes on into the early twenties, and y- you start jockeying for position. You know, you you kind of want to find out who's going to be the alpha male, if you will. And and I don't know why it is, and I can honestly say I've never. Let me think back. I've never picked on anybody. I've, why do you give me that look? I, you know what? When you mention my brother, and, my, and we were blessed to have my brother here last week, you've got to remember, you've got to understand that there are two sides to every story, and if you want the truth, ask me. I mean, I am your pastor, If I ever picked on anybody, it would have been my brother. But that wasn't dominate. You know, that that wasn't to to establish alpha male. I, I was the alpha. Well, actually, my dad was the alpha. My dad's six foot six. We were growing up. My dad's six foot six, like two hundred ninety pounds. There is no question about who the alpha male is in that house. He's 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 not as big and. And strong as he was, but you know what? He's still the alpha male in our family. I, I don't care what you say. My dad will, 
will always be the alpha male. But let's, let's get back. Let's get off that rabbit trail that you so nicely distracted me with. Now, I, you know, I would tease my brother. We'd get into it on occasion. But I'm talking about guys picking on... You know, I mean, I heard about guys that would... They, they would go around, they'd find the small guys. It's like the small guys always get picked on for some reason. They pick up the... My cousin was not a big guy, and I can remember him coming home from school when he was in junior high, I think, and they had put him in a garbage can. They had stuffed him in a garbage can, and he swore that would never happen again, so he got himself a set of weights, and he started working out on a regular basis. And I don't know if it ever happened, but it, it made me kind of angry that somebody's picking on my cousin just because... He was small, and to me, my cousin was big because he's like five years older than me, you know? So, I mean, I thought he was pretty good size. But I remember guys, when I was in school, you know, a small guy might get stuffed into a locker. A small guy might get picked on. Even when I was in the services, latest being in the service, of course, you know, I was 18, 19 years old, and you got, you got the smaller guys getting picked on. But something seems to happen a lot of times with those guys that are bullied. The, the, the small man, and they've actually, they've actually it is an actual term, little man syndrome, or the Napoleonic complex. Something seems to happen in a lot of those guys' minds, and they want to exact vengeance. They get this attitude about them, or if you will, a bad attitude, like they are just so bad, which back in the 80s meant so tough. Now, the only people I've ever, honestly, ever had come to me toe-to-toe has been somebody that was six, eight inches smaller than me and was upset for some reason. I, I can honestly, I've never been in a fight other than with my brother. I actually had a guy come up to me one time in a restroom. He was like, I don't know, five foot seven. And he came up and he started talking smack. And I thought, what is this all about? And I had a cast on my foot. I'd broken my foot in, in boot camp. And I don't know where this guy was coming from. And then, and then it, it came out of his mouth. He, he asked me if I was in the service. I said, yeah, Army. And then it comes out of his, he was a Marine. And I don't know what it is about the Marines that appeals to these little guys. But they, he was, they were, that's the only people I've ever had. Because something, something happens in their heart, and I don't, I'm not going to say they go mental. Something happens in their heart, something happens in their mind that I'm going to exact vengeance. I am going to show you that I might be small in stature, but I'm big on the inside. In fact, there's been recent studies concerning what's deemed a little man syndrome or the Napoleonic complex in 2012. Researchers at the Federal Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta, Georgia, so just four years ago, they came up with this finding. Uh, men can suffer from male discrepancy stress where they feel they are falling short. And I, I, I didn't, when I was reading that, I didn't know if that was like a pun intended, but they're serious. Falling short of traditional masculine gender norms, and it appears to make them more prone to violence than men who feel comfortable in their own skin. In 2014, a study by Oxford University concluded that feeling smaller makes people feel paranoid, mistrustful, and more likely to think that they are staring, that they are being stared at or talked about. More prone to violence. Something that affects people. We got a little video clip I'd like you to watch and I'll get back up here. I love I don't care who knows it. Buddy, uh, not now. Uh, please put that to the, uh, to the pit. I'll come visit you in a little while, okay? I didn't know you had elves working here. Oh, you're, you're hilarious, my friend. He doesn't. Get, get back to the show. So, on the cover above the title. Does Santa know that you left the workshop? You know, we're all laughing our heads off. Did you have to borrow a reindeer to get down here? Buddy, I'm back to the base. Hey, Jack Reed. I've got houses in L.A., Paris, and Vail. Oh. Each one of them with a 70-inch plasma screen. 
So I suggest you wipe that stupid smile off your face before I come over there and smack it off. You feeling strong, my friend? Call me Elf one more time. He's an angry elf. <laughs> Well, that's kind of a funny way. Well, I think it's very funny. <laughs> kind of a funny way to look at really a, a, a serious issue. And as we're looking at the way people, how people got the way that they are, we're looking at Zacchaeus this morning. Let's read the portion of scripture that he's involved in and we'll get into our study. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. I want to stop right there for a second. I want to, I want to speculate that Zacchaeus had probably been picked on. He had probably been bullied as a kid. He was, he's noted as being a short man, a very short man, a man who couldn't see above the people in front of him. He wanted to see Jesus, but he couldn't see because the crowds were too big. And so he runs ahead and he climbs into the sycamore fig tree. He climbs. This guy maybe had been picked on. Maybe he had been laughed at. Everybody had been picking him up and throwing him in garbage cans. It's possible. I just say it's possible that their mocking of him because of his size even struck at the heart of his faith. Certainly he grew up in a Jewish home under Jewish scriptures. Certainly he understood, according to Leviticus. Now, there's no, there, there's no insinuation here that, that uh, Zacchaeus was of the tribe of Levi. We don't know what tribe he was from. But in Leviticus, there's laws given about the worship of God and, and the performing of sacrifices and so forth. And of course, the, the performing of sacrifices was reserved for the descendants of Aaron. But it said here, and I, and I can just imagine kids pulling this out of their hat and picking on a person. In Leviticus 21.20, it says that a dwarf could not approach God as a priest. You see, there were certain things that God said, if, you, if you've got this condition, if you've got that condition, you cannot come before me as a priest. And I can imagine the kids picking on Zacchaeus and calling him dwarf and calling him elf and saying, you know what, you can't even, you can't even approach God. You're not even good enough to come before God. God doesn't want you. God doesn't care about you. And he had heard the scriptures. Maybe he didn't understand the scriptures. You know how it is when you, when you have just enough knowledge for it to be dangerous and somebody throws a curveball at you and you think, well, is that, is that what it means? You know, maybe, he, maybe he bought into the idea that he wasn't even good enough for God. There's a lot of people running around in our country, a lot of people running around in our communities that don't feel like they're good enough for God. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that, that have that mindset, that, that sentiment that God doesn't want me. God doesn't want me around. I, I made too many mistakes. I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not cute enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm, I'm whatever. 
And we start, we start straddling God with the kind of things that we struggle with. You know, I mean, we're, we're very visual people, and we judge people based on what they look like on the outside. Sometimes we judge them so, so harshly from the outward appearance that we don't even take the time to get to know them on the inside. Samuel even struggled with that. You know, when, when God was going to take the kingdom away from Saul, he told him, he said, I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and you're going to anoint one of his sons to be the new king. Samuel goes there, and, and he's talking to Jesse, and he has his sons appear before him. And his first son, Samuel says, oh, that's got to be him. It is a big guy, strong guy, good-looking guy. This has got to be him. And the Lord says, ah, no, 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 no. That's not him. He says, man judges by the outside. I judge on the inside. I'm not worried about what you look like on the outside. God doesn't care if you got six fingers on each hand. He doesn't care if you're five foot nothing or if you're eight foot tall. God doesn't care if you're a man or a woman. God doesn't, he doesn't, he, he doesn't judge you based on that. Your acceptance in his sight is not based upon any of those things that, that we as humans seem to make such a big deal. But when you don't know that, when you've got just enough understanding of Scripture to be dangerous and somebody throws a curveball at you, it can really mess with you. And so I'm speculating that, that Zacchaeus had been teased all of his life and he had, you know, he had had things like this thrown at him and he didn't feel like he was worthy in God's sight. He didn't feel like he was worthy in man's sight. And he decided, you know what? I'll show you. I'll show you. And he went out and he decided, since he couldn't get at these people physically, he couldn't beat up these guys that were bigger than him uh, physically, there was a way he could do it. He could do it financially. The Romans were always running ads looking for somebody to come and collect taxes. And you know what? According to the Roman rule, the tax collector had to collect a minimum that was passed on to Rome, but they could collect anything above and beyond that that they felt like they could get away with, and that would go in their own pocket. It was legal, it was accepted, and the tax collectors were hated for it. They would come up, I mean, they would tax, I was just reading the other day, they would tax the craziest things and get people to believe it. You know, somebody's bringing a wagon through town. Hey, they're going to tax the wheels, they're going to tax the axle, they're going to tax the stuff you have in it. They had sales tax, they had property, they had all kinds of things that they would throw on there. And Zacchaeus said, you know what? I can get back at these guys. I'm going to tax a snot right out of them, probably tax a snot that's run out their nose. And he did good in his job. He wasn't just a tax collector, but he was noted as being a chief tax collector. He had climbed the ranks. Now, if, if the Jews hated tax collectors and they hated them because you know they were, they were their own sovereign people, but they were ruled by Rome. We don't, we don't like, most of us don't much care for the IRS. I'm not gonna say I hate them. We don't much care for them. And they're made up of our own people, given to our own government. But I mean, the IRS for them was given to an aggressive government that had overrun them. And so for a Jewish man to go to work for the Romans to collect taxes, collect taxes against his own people, they were a traitor. So now he's a little man unacceptable to God, unacceptable to man, and now he's a traitor. He's working for the enemy. He's taxing, he's stealing, and he had become really, really wealthy. But how many of you know money doesn't buy happiness? It might rent it for a while. Can't buy it. Money doesn't bring... Fulfillment. In fact, money on it really it, it, it leaves you hungry for more. Well, I've attained this much, but I'm not happy. I must have to get more. How much money is enough? Just a little bit more, they say. 
And so for all the things that he had done and for all the vengeance that he had exacted and all the revenge that he had gotten and all the hurt that he had applied, it wasn't helping. It wasn't helping. Verses 3 and 4, he wanted to see who Jesus was. He had heard about this man. He had heard about Jesus, but he had never seen him or heard him for himself. Being short, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree since Jesus was coming that way. His desire to see Jesus went beyond a casual curiosity. See, something was turning in him. His desire went beyond a casual curiosity. How, how do I know that? Well, pretty undignified for a grown man to climb a tree. I like climbing trees. I think any other guys here like to climb trees? All right. You realize as an adult that's not really accepted unless you're hunting and you got a tree stand or something. I mean, we get mocked. We get laughed at if we're climbing trees. We get laughed at because you're an adult. You're supposed to, It's pretty undignified for a grown man just to go out and, hey, there's a tree. I'm going to climb it. Or to do it in front of a crowd. I'm just going to sneak up this tree. But, you know, I mean, beyond the fact that he was a, a, a grown man, he is a professional. He's wearing his three-piece work suit. He's a professional. How you, you just don't get much more undignified than that to go out and climb. But he didn't care. He had stopped caring what people thought a long time ago because nobody had anything good to say anyway. He had friends as long as he bought them off. He had friends that were in the same line of work as him. He had a wife. He had kids. They love him because they got to love him. But other people, the beautiful people, they didn't. They didn't care, and so he didn't care. But there's something turning in him. I said, man, i got to find out who this guy is. And I don't care what it costs me. That's a really good place to start. When you have a desperation like that for God, that's a really good place to start. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care how silly I look. Leads me to a little... A little rabbit trail. It, it, it never ceases to amaze me how people will talk about, boy, you don't want to you don't want to get too crazy in your worship for God. You know, maybe raise your hands like this, maybe raise your hands like this. But boy, you don't want to go too crazy. You gotta look like a nutcase. You ever see what people look like when they go to a football game? <laughs> Who possibly thinks that it's a good idea when you are Oh, let's say in Wisconsin. To put a block of cheese on your head. To take your shirt off and paint yourself up. And sit there in a place that's like 12 degrees. How stupid is that? And they're running up and down. I won't even say anything about the Seahawks. I mean, there's some people that are a little bit nutty about the Seahawks. But, but nobody seems to think anything bad about somebody going crazy over sports, painting themselves up and wearing cheese on their head and doing all sorts of goofy things and, and carrying signs so they can get up on the jumbotron. Nobody seems to think that's bad. They're not going to look down on you at work the next day. But, hey, man, they're going to high-five you. I saw you on the jumbo truck. Whoa, way to go, dude. How long is it going to take you to get that out of your hair? Oh, but let them see you worship God with a little excitement. Let them see you raise your hands or, heaven forbid, jump up and down. That's like a white man dance. That's, that's about as dancey as I get because I'm about as white as it gets, I'm sorry to say. Let them see you get kind of excited like that. Oh, man, they're going to, can't believe you raised your hand. You see that? He was raising his hand. Man, he actually, he thinks he can dance. What is he doing? He was out in front of the church. He was up front. So what? David's own wife, King David, his own wife was embarrassed about him. That guy, you talk about dancing. That guy stripped down to a loincloth. And he's dancing before the ark of the Lord. Trying to show off? No. 
He's just excited about what God's doing. Hey, we're bringing the Ark of the Covenant. We're bringing the evidence of God's presence into Jerusalem, into the place where he has chosen to be worshipped. We're bringing it in here. And he's excited. I mean, he's running along and he's, he's dancing, jumping up and down and, and, and who knows what. And his wife is so embarrassed. She's like, I can't believe you. What, it, what, what a disgraceful thing for you to do. Showing yourself off in front, of all the, in front of all the maids out there. Showing yourself off in front of all those slave women. Wow, how dignified you are, king. You know what his response was? I'm sure you've read it. This is in my, my version. He's a stop lady. I don't care what you say. I'm not dancing for you. I'm dancing for the Lord, and I'll become even more undignified. And you know what? Those girls out there, they're going to think it's great, but it's not for them either. It's for the Lord. When we can focus on the Lord, we can do things that other people might think are just crazy and nutty. But go for it. Let's worship the Lord. Let's, man, let's, let's, not, worry about, let's not worry about being so stinking dignified and so PC and so... Mel, and if you're wondering, this is hyper for me. We all have our own personalities. This is pretty worked up for me. I probably my heart's probably beating at about seventy beats a minute right now. So that's I've had three or four cups of coffee. Let me get back to Zacchaeus. He doesn't care. He's got this burden, he's got this hunger, he's got this hurt in his heart, but he's been hearing things about Jesus. And he wants to see him, and he doesn't care what anybody thinks anymore, because it's not going to impress anybody anyway. So he climbs the tree. But what, what would get his curiosity so piqued? What do you think would, would cause him to think that there's maybe something about this Jesus? Do you think it could possibly be that Jesus had a disciple by the name of Matthew? He also went by the name of Levi. That this guy, Matthew, before he was a disciple, before he was called in to be part of the inner fold with Jesus, before he was invited to be part of this ministry. Now, understand, Matthew didn't just tag along and take notes. These, these 12 men, they were involved in ministry. They performed miracles. They healed the sick. They, they were involved in everything that Jesus did. They listened to him preach and teach, and they learned from him. They ate with him. Do you think it's, it's possible that Zacchaeus maybe heard about Matthew or knew Matthew. The fact of the matter is, Matthew had been a tax collector. I think it's fair to say that maybe, speculating, maybe Zacchaeus and Matthew had at least known one another, maybe worked together. Maybe, maybe they had been friends. But either way, I'm pretty sure Zacchaeus knew that one of those guys with Jesus had been a tax collector. And yet, this Jesus who was performing such miracles, this Jesus who was preaching the good news, this Jesus that was restoring hope to Israel and to the world, chose a tax collector. I wonder if maybe Zacchaeus knew about it as soon as Matthew got chosen. As soon as, you know, the Bible says that he left his tax with Jesus said, follow me. And Levi, he just locked up and said, I'm out of here. And he started following Jesus. And when he left, it says that he went home and he threw a great banquet for Jesus. And you know who he invited? Tax collectors and sinners. Why? Because that's the only people that would hang out with him. Here's, here's, just some, here's something to chew on for a second. Now, the first gospel is named for Matthew. Matthew wrote it. But did you know that after Acts chapter 1, Matthew's not mentioned in Scripture ever again. One of the 12 disciples 
He's not mentioned after Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, he's listed as being in the upper room with the others. So we know that he experienced baptism of the Holy Spirit. We know that he was involved in ministry beyond that. Legend has it, stories have been, have been written that, that he uh, was a great missionary, that he ended up going to other countries and spreading the gospel. But there's nothing in Scripture beyond the fact that he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples and that he was in the upper room. That's the last thing said about him. Some of these other guys, they get a lot of airtime. Peter, a lot of airtime. John, a lot of airtime. Matthew, not so much. Is it possible? Is it possible that, that a big part of the Lord's purpose with Matthew was not only to save Matthew and, and to use him, but to reach a guy by the name of Zacchaeus? Is it possible that, that the Lord saw Matthew and saw his heart and saw the potential in him. So, man, I want to. I want. I'm going to save you, and I'm going to use you. And the first people that he's reaching out to automatically are other tax collectors. But is it possible that the Lord raised Matthew up for such a time as this, when a little man who's feeling pushed away is hungry can look and say, "Hey, there's another tax collector, and Jesus not only loves him but brought him in close." I think it's possible. Well, now let me turn it back on you. Some of you sitting here this morning, you don't think that you've got much to give. Some of you this morning, I mean, you're just happy to be saved, and we ought to be happy to be saved. Some of us wonder, how much do I have to give? What am I doing? I'm not, boy, I'm not, I'm not leading a church or a big uh, missions group. I'm not doing this, that, or the other. Don't you realize you've got influence in your own little sphere? You've got people that you can reach that only you can reach. You've got people because of your experience, you've got an in with them. Because of where you work, they can't kick you out. They can't keep you from being friends. Isn't it just as likely that the Lord has saved you so you can reach somebody else that struggles with the same things that you've struggled with? has gone through or is going through the same things that you've gone through? See, I got a hunch that, that Zacchaeus, when he heard about Matthew leaving the tax shelter, leaving that job, I got a hunch that Zacchaeus' first response was probably something like, well, that's crazy. What's he, that's a, he's got a good job. Why is he leaving that job? Then maybe it was something like, well, he'll be back. He'll be back, because don't, you ever heard that? Somebody, somebody comes to the Lord, they get saved, life gets changed, you start hearing other people that know them say, well, they'll be back. I think Zacchaeus probably watched Matthew say, he'll be back. I mean, he's trading in a, a good income, he's trading in security, he's trading in all this stuff to follow this itinerant preacher that doesn't have any money, doesn't have a retirement account, doesn't have any, he'll be back. His eyes will open up. He'll be back. But three years later, he's not back. Three years later, he's not even looking back. Oh, he's not, he's not ashamed of who he's been because Jesus transformed him. If anyone's in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. They're a new creation. He's, yeah, that's who I was, but this is who I am. And Zacchaeus has been watching. He says, man... He seems to be happy. His family's happy. His, his life is going well. Maybe he's heard reports that they've offered him his job back because they're having a hard time getting somebody to fill that place. And Matthew's like, thanks, no thanks. Not interested. I got other things to do. Yeah, but look at the money. So what? Look who I'm with. Zacchaeus has been watching him. My friends, people are watching you. People are watching you. People that knew you before you got saved, they're watching to see this is going to stick. They're wondering when you're going to come back. Some of you have been saved for an awful long time. They've given up on you coming back. Some of your friends maybe gave up on you totally. Maybe most of the people that you run with now have only known you as a believer. They're still watching you. How are they going to act when things get tough? How are they going to act when they get bad news? How are they going to act on a bad day? Who do they give credit to on a good day? 
Do they really live what they espouse, the things that they claim to believe? Do they really live it? Does this life, does this teaching really impact their life? Well, you better make sure that it is because they're watching you. I don't know if Matthew realized that Zacchaeus was watching him, but I believe Zacchaeus was. And when he saw that Matthew wasn't coming back, when he saw that Matthew had a smile on his face now and a sense of peace that couldn't be filled with money, he got to thinking, well, if the Lord could love Matthew, if the Lord could use Matthew, maybe, maybe he could accept me. If I am nothing more than an example to somebody else that God can take a person and change their life, then that's good. If I'm nothing more than a conduit of somebody coming to Jesus because they knew my past life and they know me today, then that is good. What if your one big purpose, your calling in life, is to be a good witness? Are you doing it? Is anybody going to look at your life and say, if Jesus can change them, maybe he can change me? So let's get back to Zacchaeus. Let's move on to verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. This is, I, I don't know, this cracks me up. Zacchaeus, he's just hiding. He's just climbing up in a tree. He wants to see Jesus. He doesn't have any idea that Jesus wants to see him. Who would have thought that Jesus would get to that exact spot, look up in that exact tree, and see that little man sitting up there and say, hey, Zacchaeus, he called him by name. He didn't call him little man. He didn't call him elf. He didn't call him tax man. He didn't, he didn't say anything wrong to him. He called him by his given name, which I believe means purity, oddly enough. He said, Zacchaeus, I see you up there. Come on down. I've got to go to your house. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I got things going on, but I got to go to your house today. And Zacchaeus, he jumped at the opportunity. He just, he jumped down. And the Bible says he welcomed him gladly. He looked at everybody else around, didn't care what anybody else was saying because Jesus was looking at him. Jesus was talking to him. And how in the world did Jesus know my name? How did he know I. Jesus knows where you're at. Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows the struggle you've got. Jesus still loves you. Still wants to restore you. Still wants to bless you with his presence. He wants to come to your house. Some of you, he's saying, hey, I got to come over today. If today you hear his voice, don't be like they were in the desert where they pushed him off and ticked him off. Why? Because today is the day of salvation. <laughs> Zacchaeus, it all comes down to this. You came out looking for me. You were curious. You climbed a tree. You didn't think I'd see you, but I see you. I knew you were going to be there. Today is your day, buddy. I got to come to your home. Jesus still wants to come to your home. He welcomed him gladly, came down at once, verse 6, and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's got to be a guest of a sinner. <gasps> Jesus went to the house of a sinner. Tax collectors and prostitutes and bad people, there's people that are confused about their gender. There's people that are confused about everything. And Jesus went to sit and eat with them. Why is that such a big deal? Because eating a meal is an intimate thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, a deal of closeness. It's a relational thing. One of the greatest things you can do is sit down to a meal with somebody. 
And Jesus, this great preacher, this great teacher, he was going to sit knowingly, willingly, at the house of a sinner, a tax collector. Ick. It's like he just rolled up to the IRS office and took them dinner. And they were upset and they muttered. Zacchaeus didn't care. Long ago, he'd grown deaf to their talk. Something happened on the way back to Zacchaeus' house. Something that, that we're, we're not told the details of it. As they're walking back to Zacchaeus' house, and he's talking to Jesus, and he's listening to what Jesus has to say, and he realizes that, that this man, this Jesus, is treating him with respect, and that not only is Zacchaeus ignoring what other people are saying about Jesus going to the house of a sinner, Jesus is ignoring what the people are saying. Jesus doesn't care what the rest of the crowd is saying because he is so singularly focused on Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus' need. Something happened along the road. Zacchaeus came to a point, he said, you know what? I like this guy. In fact, I love this guy. In fact, this guy... He's going to be my savior. This man is not just some religious figure. This man is my friend. He is my savior. And when they get to his home, listen to what Zacchaeus does. Partway through the dinner, verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord. Now, him, just him using that term, Lord. That was a, a term of affection and recognition of who he was. He says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Well, some things to notice here. He didn't do this quietly. He didn't take Jesus aside and say, hey, I got something to tell you. I, got a, I want to whisper something in your ear. He stood up in front of everybody that was there, all the other tax collectors, all the other outcasts. He stood up in front of the other disciples. He said, Lord, I want to tell you something here and now. I'm going to give half of my possessions. You can hold me accountable. I want everybody here to hear what I'm saying. I'm going to give half of what I own to the poor. I don't need this much. I got something that's a lot better than the money. And besides that, I remember something in the law that if you cheat somebody, you got to pay back four times. So if I have cheated anybody, Lord, I'm going to submit to that. Not because I'm saved by it, but because you have saved me. I'm going to submit to that. Something changed in Zacchaeus. He all of a sudden has this peace that goes beyond understanding. He has this joy that he couldn't buy for any amount. Somewhere along the way, Jesus broke through that wall of separation that Zacchaeus has built up. Jesus is still knocking down walls, church. He's still breaking down walls of separation that people are building up. And here's the sad thing. You know what? Do you realize that too often we in the church build walls rather than bridges? The same materials that you can use for a bridge, you can also use for a wall. And I encourage that we start to build bridges to the lost. Let's start being like Jesus. If we're going to call ourselves Christian, and Christian means Christ-like, then why don't we start building bridges and knocking down walls? Amen? Now, that is not a political statement. That is, has nothing to do with proposed walls on our borders. That's, that just has to do with people are building up walls around them spiritually, and sometimes we give them the mortar to do it. We'll hand them the materials. Yeah, you're right. Oh, you've been caught up in that church, in that religion? Here, have another brick. I'm sorry. Here, let me help you mortar that in. You are a nutcase. I'm sorry. That's, that's just, oh, you did that. Oh, here, I'll just toss this stuff to you. Don't get that on me. Oh, you do that. You do. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, I knew somebody wants to here. Here, here's the materials. And we stop loving. We start building the bridges and we start... And they feel so isolated, so alone. But then here comes Jesus, and he's good at knocking down walls. 
and loving people right where they're at. Even the Zacchaeuses, the guys with the Napoleonic complex, the guys with the little man syndrome, the guys who have been hurting and building up walls forever. Jesus is saying, let's knock that wall down. Let's build a bridge. Let's have some fun and restoration. And in response, don't be surprised when people start being transformed when their hearts and their minds are transformed when they come to Christ. In response, Zacchaeus says, look, I'm going to give half of what I have. I'm going to pay back four times as much as I've ever stolen. He didn't do that in order to receive salvation. He did that because he had salvation. He had already received from the Lord. And so he's just given back now. Wrap up with verse 9. Jesus said to him, and everybody else that's listening, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. I love this declaration. Today salvation has come to this house. Not because of what you just said. Not because of what you're promising to do. Because you came and you found me and you let me come over to your house. Salvation has come to this house. And here's the evidence. Your life has changed. Your attitude has changed. Your, 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 your focus on finances has changed. That's just the proof in the pudding. Salvation has come. Zacchaeus, you need to know you are saved. Just like we talked about uh, the twisted sister a couple weeks ago. Jesus looked and said, hey, your sins are forgiven in front of everybody. She wasn't pouring oil on him and wiping his, his feet with her hair so that she could receive salvation. She did it because she already had it. And Jesus declaring, Zacchaeus, you got it. You got it. And he declares, this man too is a son of Abraham, which was something that was important for everybody else to hear because as a tax collector, as an outsider, he had been ostracized. He was no longer considered a Jew. He was considered worse than the Gentiles. And Jesus stands up in front of everybody and says, this man too is a son of Abraham. Huge compliment in that culture. Galatians were told that if anyone is in Christ, they are the seed of Abraham. It doesn't matter whether you're national Jew or you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter what your background is. If you are in Christ, you're of the seed of Abraham, the faith of Abraham. You're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But that newness has to translate into a transformed mind has to translate into a new understanding, just like Zacchaeus says, you know what? Everything that I ran for, everything that was so important, not so much now. It's you, Jesus. It's you. Let's bow our heads this morning as we pray. I hope you've been thinking this morning, maybe, like I said, maybe some of you know somebody that's in a situation like this. Maybe you know somebody that quite literally is, is small and they've built up walls because they've, been, they've just been an outsider. Maybe they're an outsider for other reasons. Jesus wants to come to them. And maybe, just maybe, you're kind of like Matthew and that the big primary purpose that, that God saved you besides the fact that he loves you desperately and wants to have a relationship with you, but maybe your big purpose in life is to be a witness and a testimony to others who are going through the same thing. And he wants to use you to speak life into them. I'm going to ask you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if, if anybody here knows somebody, you know somebody that's struggling, and they're struggling with things that you struggled with, if you know somebody struggling with things that you struggle with, you just slip your hand up. I, I want to pray for them. You got friends or relatives or coworkers that that are dealing with. Thank you all around this room dealing with stuff that you have dealt with. Maybe you didn't even realize it. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you for such a time as this. God has saved you and set you apart that you might minister peace to them. And maybe you're here this morning, you've been struggling yourself with being accepted by God. You've been struggling yourself with, with being accepted. Nobody else wants to accept you. Why would God want to accept you? Let me tell you, 
He loves you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord, this morning as we close up this message, Lord, I thank you for the hands that were raised that they could identify somebody that's struggling with the same things that they have struggled with. Lord, I pray for those individuals, those that are struggling, Lord, those that feel ostracized, those that feel, Lord, like they just don't measure up. Lord, I pray that you would soften their hearts. Lord, that you would begin to speak confidence to them. But Lord, I pray for those that raise their hands, that they might be like Matthew, a good example. Lord, that they might take the opportunity, seize the moment to reach out to their friends that are struggling. Lord, they might seize the moment simply by being a good example. Lord, there's no evidence that, that Matthew himself ever talked to Zacchaeus about you, but Lord, his changed life spoke volumes. Lord, I pray for those that, that have these friends, Lord, that their changed life would be consistent, and that you would use it. Use it, Lord, to reach the lost. Father, I pray for any today who are struggling with acceptance by you. Lord, that struggle is very real. The pain is very real. But Lord, your healing is very real as well. Lord, I pray that even right now you begin to bring peace and healing and wholeness. Lord, that they might be able to jump up with the same excitement that Zacchaeus came out of that tree. Lord, that they might enjoy peace and restored relationship with you. We'll be quick to give you the praise and the glory. Now, Lord, we commit this day to you. Lord, I speak your peace over your people and ask you to go with us as we go our separate ways. Lord, would you bring us back safely? Wednesday, would you bring us back? Sunday, but Lord, as we go out from here, let us go out and be the church. Now that we've gone to church, let us go be the church and win the loss for you. And all God's people said, Amen. For more information, you can find us online at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.